You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and on the podcast today, we're going to continue talking about something we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, which are muscles and how those muscles work and what is kind of from location, from where it inserts and attaches, how do those two points get closer together and what joint actions do they create. And we're just going to talk about specific muscles, but today I want to talk about the inner unit of the core a little bit more. Now we've done episodes on the core and we've talked about stabilization of the core and the difference between drawing in and bracing and and the debate around that, but that's not what today is. Today is specifically speaking on the muscles that are present there. So talking more about what the muscles do and then how they can function. So let's get into the inner unit of the core and then we'll talk about some of the other muscles in the core as well. But these inner unit muscles are smaller muscles that are primarily there to help create stabilization around the lumbopelvic hip complex. So the first one we'll talk about and it's always a popular one on the list is the transverse abdominis or the transversus abdominis. And that transverse abdominis is the weight belt for the body, but it's your internal weight belt. And I've told a story about um, the instability that much larger and more muscular people have, but because they wear weight belts, oftentimes the they have this incredible instability in their lumbopelvic hip complex, even though they are incredibly strong. Well, this instability, um, let's look at how the transverse abdominus helps to support that uh, along with a couple of other muscles. So I want you to think about maybe a stack of glossy magazines and how you might try to carry those things. And you would probably put uh, a hand on the bottom and a hand on the top and you try to squeeze them. Uh, But then you would pull it against your body to maintain that stability because otherwise these magazines, which are pretty slippery, could still slide out even if you compress from the top and the bottom. So what ideally you could do is put a little wrap around it uh, to go around the edges. And that's what the transverse abdominus would do from around the edges. And then we'd talk about what muscles would be pulling down from the top and pulling up from the bottom to help create that stability as well. So transverse abdominus, it, it runs from really that, that lumbar spine, that lumbo-pelvic hip. Um, there's a thick piece of fascia in the back called the thoracolumbar fascia or aponeurosis. And if you ever see a like a, a rendering of the anatomy from a posterior side and you see the lats and you see the glutes, you see this posterior, um, and then there looks like almost like a, a white little um, Christmas tree kind of area in the back between the, the glutes and the lats. And that's that thick piece of fascia. And there are a lot of muscles that connect onto that fascia. And I want to be able to, to kind of point out that that thick piece of fascia is what a lot of our stabilization muscles are going to attach to. So the, the transverse abdominus goes from that fascia and it circles all the way around in front of the abdominal, uh, the abdominal area attaches onto that linea aspera, which is, means white line. Um, and that white line running in between the rectus abdominis. And so what it does when it contracts, it, its its fibers are transverse. They run transversely. So they actually don't help 
really with flexion. They don't help with extension or rotation, really, even though you see the transverse fibers, you might think they're really good for rotation. But what they do is when they contract, they draw the navel in towards the spine. So they suck in the belly button. It creates that vacuum pose that you may remember from bodybuilders back in the day. Uh, doing the vacuum pose where they would draw in really tight. And, um, and and that's a primary muscle that would be in charge of doing that. And that would be kind of this, this idea of putting this netting around these glossy magazines and holding it against your body to help stabilize that stack of glossy magazines you're trying to hold. But in this case, uh, those glossy magazines are going to be your vertebrae. And they are stacked on top of each other. And we want to try to create the stabilization. We can stabilize those vertebrae as best as possible um, uh, in, in this kind of circular manner. But then you have muscles that would come from the top and pull down. So the same way that you'd put your hand on top, uh, a muscle from the top is the diaphragm. And the diaphragm will push down on that stack of glossy magazines. Or in this instance, it pushes down on the uh, contents of the abdominal area and it creates pressure that pushes against the, um, the spine. So when it pushes down through your inhalation process, and a lot of times when we think about the diaphragm, we think about people talking about singing or speaking loudly in public speaking and to speak to the back of the room, and that's diaphragmatic. That's diaphragmatic. Um, but interesting, the, the diaphragm, when it concentrically activates, it's on the inhalation, not the exhalation. So as you inhale, and then it pushes down. So in the Valsalva maneuver, where a lot of people will increase their stabilization, they'll take a deep breath in, and then they'll tighten everything. And that, that big inhale in allows the transverse abdominis to push down. And then Valsalva, which is cutting off the exit of that air, so that it doesn't go anywhere and it creates you know, spinal stabilization. What pulls up? Pulling up from the bottom would be your pelvic floor muscles. And the pelvic floor muscles, think about the muscles that uh, cut off the exits for going to the bathroom. And that would be whether you're going to urinate or defecate, both exits. So squeezing and pulling that in, what happens? The pelvic floor pulls up. It moves north on your body. It's a superior contraction where it pulls north and it closes off those exits. So when you've got that pulling from the bottom, so it's a it's a nice, strong, stable base, but also helps to increase intra-abdominal pressure. Pressure from the top with the diaphragm, pressure from around the edges with the transverse abdominis, then you have a pretty good, strong inner unit, but it's not over. There are more muscles that are going to help to stabilize the spine there in the inner unit, which we'll talk about, uh, which we are talking about. One is something you may have heard of. Let's go into these muscles in the back and muscles and spinal muscles called paraspinal muscles. So para, paraspinal muscles just means muscles that are around the spine. And they're not necessarily designed to move the spine. Uh, they can. They've got contractive forces that can create movement. But what they really are there to do is to stabilize the spine. So we'll first talk about one that we hear about quite a bit, which are the multifidus. So the multifidi muscles, 
are muscles that go, it starts at the sacrum, goes all the way up to the back of the neck, so cervical spine, and it goes from the transverse processes to the spinous process. So the transverse process are the ones that stick out uh, in the spine, and the spinous process is the one uh, sorry, transverse stick out laterally. Spinous process are the ones that, that you'll feel on the back of your spine when you're doing maybe uh, a sit-up and you feel your back, your spine poking into the ground and that's why you need a cushion. Then that's the spinous process. So they go from the spinous, uh, transverse process up to the spinous process. Creates like a, a triangle, the triangle. Um, sometimes they'll skip a vertebrae, uh, two, three, sometimes even four, the multifidi muscles, and they'll Their job is to stabilize the spine and to minimize any spinal movement or listing. And you may have heard of things like a spondolisthesis, which is a shifting of vertebrae. And uh, we we want these smaller paraspinal muscles like the multifidi to activate. There are other muscles around there called like the rotatories and... um, I guess in concentric function, you have a pretty good idea of what those might do. The rotatories could rotate the spine, but really they're there uh, to help minimize any of the rotation that might happen. So these muscles help and work with the multifidi muscles to minimize that kind of movement in the spine. Um, Then we've got the posterior fibers primarily of the internal obliques. Now the internal obliques, um, and we think about obliques, obliques are interesting and we'll we'll talk about both of them here, um, but the internal obliques, if you go back to that thoracolumbar aponeurosis or fascia that's in the back, and you take both of your hands and you slide them back like you're trying to put them in at an angle into that thoracolumbar aponeurosis, then that angle as your hands slide back in your back, almost like you're putting them in your back pockets, that is the oblique angle that the internal obliques move from. So what they'll do is they'll they'll go from that sacrum, thoracolumbar fascia, and they move up and around the body. And so what what movement that creates is a um, ipsilateral movement of rotation. So it, it's an ipsilateral rotation of the trunk. What does that mean? Ipsilateral means same side. So if my right side internal oblique contracts concentrically, then I will rotate my spine or my torso towards the right side. But the deep fibers of those internal obliques that connect right there with the thoracolumbar fascia, they create an incredible amount of stabilization and it works very, very much in tandem with your transverse abdominis in order to help stabilize the spine. So I've got the internal obliques that are helping, the multifidi that are helping, the transversospinalis that are helping, the rot- uh, which are from transverse process on the bottom, that immediate transverse process right above it to help stabilize the spine. The rotatories that help to stabilize the spine. And what's kind of interesting with that is that, think about the internal obliques that, that go from the back of your back and go up and around your body and the external obliques basically doing the opposite direction. So they start um, 
kind of more towards the front of your body, and then they go back and down. So it creates a crisscross pattern, the internal oblique and external oblique. Creating this crisscross pattern is pretty interesting because if you think about scaffolding uh, and you look at scaffolding, they're always X's. They're always crisscross bars uh, between scaffolding. And what is that for? Well, I think we understand that's for stabilization. So even though they're movement muscles, it creates an incredible amount of stabilization because of how they crisscross each other in stabilization. And when it contracts, it will rotate you. Uh, this is now the, the external oblique. When the external oblique contracts, it will rotate you to the contralateral side. So if my right external oblique activates, then it will rotate me to my left side, right? So I am now looking at my internal obliques, and as it activates, it's ipsilateral. My external obliques, as it activates, it's contralateral rotation, but they work concurrently to help create flexion of the spine. So they both help to flex, they both help to rotate. So if you've ever done a crunch with rotation, and say, wow, man, I feel it in my abs, yes, but I also, I, I'm trying to get one side of my obliques, but I feel it in both. That's because the external obliques are working on one side and the internal are working on the other as you flex and rotate. What else for the inner unit? Well, the inner unit, and now just to be clear also, the external obliques are not part of this internal stabilization unit. However, they work with the internal obliques to create dynamic stabilization. Uh, now let's talk about the erector spinae. These very deep fibers of the erector spinae also help and are considered a portion of the inner unit because they help to stabilize the spine. Now the erector spinae in general are designed to create extension of the spine, and by its name alone, erects the spine, so it lifts up the spine. Um, there are um, muscles within the erector spinae. So the erector spinae is actually a group of three different muscles. There's spinalis, the longissimus, and the iliocostalis. So those are the three muscles that kind of go from, um, um, in order, from that midline of the spine, closer to the spine, and then move laterally. So spinalis is closer to the spine, the longissimus is next, and then the intercostalis, because as the intercostalis comes up, it kind of reaches out into the costals uh, a bit more, or the ribs a bit more, and it's got more of a, a, a lateral arm to it. But those muscles will go from the sacrum and all the way up to uh, the back of the, the top cervical vertebrae. So they erect the spine, but deep, those deep portions of the muscles stabilize. They're strong stabilizers in the spine. So again, it works with all the other muscles that we've talked about, the transverse abdominis, the diaphragm, the pelvic floor, the multifidi, the rotatories, the uh, transverso spinalis, the internal obliques, along with the deep erector spinae to help stabilize the vertebrae. And then we add in just the erector spinae, just in its action, it is Traditionally, we'll look at it as spinal extension, and it can create some rotation, and it can create some lateral flexion. So the erector spinae have capacities greater than simply erecting the spine because it can help a bit with rotation, and it can help a bit with that side bending. Then we talk, let's add in rectus abdominis. 
And the rectus abdominis would go from the bottom of the, the rib cage. So if you're looking on, on the anterior side and that xiphoid process, the bottom ribs, and it's going to go down the front of the abdomen and connect down into the pubis. Now, when things contract, what it does is it takes the two attachment points and brings them closer together. So the pubis and the xiphoid process, when you flex your spine, those two points get closer together. And then the rectus abdominis is the primary muscle that's going to be responsible for that. Rectus means straight, right? So it's a straight line. So this is a straight line, this, this muscle. And uh, the abdominis is simply the region. So that's where that gets the name. So it's going to flex the spine. What it does not do is it does not flex the hips, and a lot of people still out there doing a lot of hip flexion exercises as an abdominal exercise, and you might feel that, but it's simply because your primary hip flexors uh, are running through your abdominal region as well. Um, and it can have it, it can get worked as a means of uh, assisting a co-contraction with hip flexion eventually comes a tilt of the pelvis. So that posterior pelvic tilt, that is a that that is again getting that pubis closer to the xiphoid process. So a posterior pelvic tilt might be something where you've got your rectus abdominis really contracting to make that happen. As a matter of fact, if doing an assessment, somebody has a posterior pelvic tilt, I might check and make sure that their abs aren't too tight. Um, it could be some uh, clearly some other things that would be associated with it, but they might have tight muscles in their rectus abdominis or their other anterior core muscles. Well, what other anterior core muscles are there that could do that? And we did talk about both the internal and external obliques functioning as flexors of the spine. So these will all be muscles that would be part of that evaluation. So let's look one more time. We've got the deep erector spinae stabilizing the spine, the erector spinae erecting the spine, doing the opposite of what the rectus abdominis would do, which is flex the spine. All of these muscles have functions. All of them can assist with concentric movement. All of them can assist with stabilization. But they work in different ways, and as a unit, they all work together to create stabilization and to create movement. And for us to have an understanding of each muscle and what they're capable of and what they do is valuable as, a, as personal trainers to understand a bit more about the body. All right, so thank you for, for listening to this particular episode. I hope you found it uh, interesting and helpful and brought uh, to memory some of the things that maybe you already knew and if, uh, uh, if you already knew them and validated some of your thoughts. And then for those of you newer to training, I hope you found it interesting and, um, and you can start listening to these episodes over and over again to get a better understanding and a grasp of human movement science and how we as personal trainers can start applying these things. So uh, this is the NASM CPT podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie. I want to thank you again for listening and stay tuned as we'll have more episodes on human movement science and how these muscles work. Thanks. <laughs>